The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely that of the podcast contributor and not that of Shine or Sea Change. Welcome everyone to another episode of Sea Change Sessions with A Little Gale. My name is Abigail McDonald, and this podcast is about all things mental health, how we can break the stigma, how we can open the conversation and just get more people involved in that conversation. Um, this month is a really, really interesting topic. And if you listened to our episode last week, you'll know that this week we are talking about women in history who have contributed to mental health. And I have two amazing guests who I think the conversation is going to be fantastic with. I have Mary Hayes, the Women's Health Officer at the National Women's Council, and Fiona Coyle, the CEO of Mental Health Reform. Um, Fiona, I'm going to go to you, first of all. How are you doing this morning? I'm great, Abigail. I'm really excited um, to be here for, for this discussion, especially given the, the week that's in it, as you said. So thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm delighted to have you both and um, belated happy International Women's Day to you both as well. I think we need to <laughs> keep saying that. Uh, but Fiona, for those who may not know, could you tell us a little bit about what mental health reform is? Yeah, with pleasure. So mental health reform, we're Ireland's National Coalition on Mental Health. So we're a membership-based organisation. Um, we've over 75 members that we represent. And now these members, they represent a diversity of, of interests. So some are mental health service providers, others, you know, work with special interest groups such as children or, or travellers. Um, but what we do is we provide a space um, for our members. All our members believe in one thing, that we need to reform and strengthen Ireland's mental health um, policies, laws, systems, processes, um, to ensure that, that people have access to the services they need, when they need them, where they need them. Um, so we bring our members together and we speak with, to the government and other key stakeholders. Um, we campaign um, to ensure that we raise awareness of the need to really prioritise and invest in our mental health services. Um, yeah, so, so that's kind of um, what we do. Um, kind of on a day-to-day -day basis is really trying to ensure that mental health is, is mainstream, not just in health, but in all policies, and um, that there's mental health aspect and that the government keeps mental health top of their priority list. Yeah, definitely. It's such a, such an interesting organization. And may I ask what you were doing before this? Because I know you were kind of, you became the CEO in 2020. So what brought you to this role? Yeah, so I've spent, um, prior to this role, I spent the last four years working in Brussels, where I coordinated um, women's rights networks, actually, uh, which is very interesting given the topic. So most recently, I was working for an organisation called End um, Female Genital Mutilation European Network. Um, so we were looking at um, putting kind of a spotlight on FGM, as, as it's called. Um, in Europe, there are 600,000 women who are living with FGM. Um, so I, I suppose it was a really interesting area. Um, and before that, I worked for the International Planned Parenthood Federation. So where I was working on sexual um, and reproductive health and rights. Um, and it's really interesting in terms of you know, so much of, of what, you know, I was doing in those roles is, is so relevant to, to mental health because it's all about rights at the end of the day. It's all about ensuring that people have access to the services and that people have a voice. Like everyone it deserves to be listened to. And, you know, one of the things we're really passionate about in mental health reform is the voice of the service users, their carers, their families, their, their supporters, you know, that, that people, you know, those very people who are being impacted or who are accessing the services need to have the, their voice heard and need to have a say. So, yeah, when, when this role came up, it's always an area I was really interested in. Um, I don't think there's a family in Ireland who hasn't been touched and um, by mental health. And it's an area that I think, you know, we can we can achieve something meaningful for people. You know, we, we can achieve it. It's it's something there's momentum there. So I was really excited to to join mental health reform uh, last year. Amazing. What an interesting background. And I think just what you said there about how mental health, it comes into all topics and it comes into every single part of our lives and, and every journey that each person is on because it's always there you know and I think sometimes people may forget that or think that it just slots into one conversation or one topic 
it's there all the time constantly and I, I, I think that's really, really interesting where, where you came from, your background. And um, it's fantastic to have you on. Uh, absolutely honoured to talk to you this morning. Um, Mary, I'm going to jump to you, if that's OK. I would just thank you so much for joining this morning. Um, first of all, National Women's Council, what is that for, for those who may not know? Yeah, um, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be joining the podcast today. I was listening back to them recently and I just think you're doing a really fantastic job. So um, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Um, so I suppose quite similar to Mental Health Reform, the National Women's Council, we're a membership organization. So we're the leading feminist organization in Ireland. Um, and we have over 180 member groups from all different backgrounds. So we have traveler women's groups, women's groups working on mental health, um, community women's groups, um you know groups working on women's economic equality um uh, groups working on violence against women so i suppose uh, a number of different organizations throughout ireland all fighting um towards equality for women um so you know we have made massive strides recently um for for women's rights you know we saw the marriage referendum we saw um repeal the eighth recently um but you know there are still um, I suppose a, a lot of areas that need um, added support and need, you know, a really concerted effort and prioritization. So, um, you know, we saw Black Lives Matter really come into the fore last year. So that's definitely something that's on our minds. You know, women living in direct provision are facing a lot of inequalities at the moment. I suppose Ireland still falls short of full equality for, for women's lives and the decisions that they can make in their lives. And, you know, that's going to have an impact on their mental health. So for older women, women experiencing homelessness, women in direct provision, LGBT women, you know, the list goes on. Um, all of these women face multiple uh, discriminations. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really our aim to push forward and to uh ensure that these women's experiences are on the agenda for government and continue to be there amazing and i think the work uh, that the national women's council does is amazing i know yesterday um for uh, international women's day i saw your guys campaign of what we need to do to ensure the future is feminist and you know it even kind of pushes people to think about these things that they normally wouldn't you know it's it's easy to say international women's day go girls but let's go with the theme and choose to challenge our own thoughts and things like that. Yeah, and I just think it's interesting that this is falling on International Women's Day. You know, it really does give us an opportunity to maintain momentum. Women have kind of um, found their voice and have started to be listened to over the past decade, especially. So I think it's a really good opportunity for women to continue to work together um, to reach equality. You know, the International Women's Day began as a hunger march in 1907 in the States for women, you know, who were working in sweatshops and were um, protesting, you know, difficult working conditions and being, um, you know, having very long working hours. And, you know, things like that are still things that women experience now that have a specific impact on their mental health, you know, women's economic equality, um, women's caring responsibilities. So, we're still working on similar things that women, you know, over a hundred years ago were fighting for. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's, it comes back to that thing where it's not just one day where we go, yay, go girls, girl power, all the women, and, and then just leave it. It's not just a tick the box situation. It's something we can continue on, but from kind of a historical point of view, what we're talking about today, do you think there has been improvements made towards women's mental health in Ireland in terms how they engage with it and, and service provision? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think things have changed. It's been a long road. You know, we saw, I suppose, over the last century, um, a number of changes. First of all, you know, the emergence of the asylum system and the so-called mentally ill were admitted to these asylums. And it was kind of a catch-all solution for a lot of social issues. Um, that would have um, disproportionately impacted women. So things like poverty, uh, disability and mental illness. 
Um, so they would have been seen as a solution for that. And then the move away then from um, large scale institutions into community settings has been particularly beneficial for women. Um, for the women that we've spoken to, what they say is that the mental health services that work for them are services that are accessible to them. So that's services that are in their communities um, that are you know, appropriate for their needs and that understand their particular needs. So for example, you know, childcare is, is a massive consideration that women have in terms of their mental health. So women a lot of the time will put the needs of their families before their own health. So in order for women to... Oh, cool. Okay, so just kind of from a historical point of view, Mary, do you think there's been improvements towards women's mental health in Ireland and in terms of how they engage with it and, and service provision and that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think things have changed, but you know, it has been a long road to get here. I think there are major differences in how women access supports and how supports are set up as well for women. So I suppose at the start of the century, you know, we would have seen the emergence of the asylum system um, where, you know, the so-called mentally ill would have been admitted to these large institutions often for the rest of their lives. And this would have been seen as a kind of a catch-all solution to um, social problems um, that needed further attention. So, for example, you know, disability, poverty, mental illness, um, and a lot of these things would be would disproportionately impact women in the first place. Um, and we know that women were more likely to be institutionalized as well. Um, and that has a basis or, as well around uh, the concept of hysteria. Um, I suppose when we look at mental health services now, um, from the women that we've spoken to, women really need to be able to access supports um, that are close to home and that are appropriate for them. So the move to community mental health services has really been a positive step for, for women's mental health. Um, you know, if you look at women's lives, women are so different in so many ways. You know, they have so many different circumstances, responsibilities um, that are going to impact what they need for their mental health and how they access mental health supports. So for example, women, a woman with children is you know, really going to need those um, formal care supports in place in order for her to be able to access mental health supports. Um, if a woman is, you know, her first language isn't English, she's going to need specific supports like translation services. She's going to need culturally sensitive supports available to her. And also um, services that are accessible for everyone. So not just, you know, based on the ability to pay. Um, and we are seeing, seeing that with the move towards launch care. Um, just, you know, specifically, I think there's been a couple of things that have been really positive. You know, we have seen specific funding um, directed at mental health and for women's health overall uh, under the Women's Health Task Force. We've finally seen um, gender recognised under the Sharing Division Mental Health Policy. Um, so, you know, these are things that really um, have had been instrumental in ensuring that women's health is prioritized and not just, you know, something that's um, dealt with in a reactive as opposed, as opposed to a proactive way. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting as well, you touching on the kind of community-based services as well, which I think are, are quite underlooked by, by many people, you know, but in, in reality of life, you know, you can't expect sometimes a working mother to trek all the way into town or trek to another county to, to sort out um, any issues or, or to, to seek help, you know, because at the end of the day, that's not realistic. And these are the sort of aspects we need to kind of take into account when when dealing with this sort of thing so I really think that's um, a really interesting point you made there but Fiona I want to turn to you because there was a mention of policy there which I think is really interesting and from your experience in working in policy reform and from an historical point of view do you think there's been improvements towards women's mental health? Yeah um, yeah really um, would agree with what Mary has said um, and I think, you know, to answer your question, maybe to first look at 
the journey we've come in terms of mental health policy in Ireland. Like, you know, Mary mentioned, you know, our, our institution-based system. Like a figure that always jumps out at me was, I read a couple of months ago that in 1961, one in 70 Irish people over the age of 24 were in psychiatric institutions. That's 40 years ago. That's not that long ago. And at that point, that was the, the highest among our peers in Europe, I think indeed even the world. And, you know, it really gives you food from thought on how far we've come in terms of our policy. So, and in terms of even our, our law, like, you know, we had a new Mental Health Act in 2001. It's not perfect. It's currently being reformed. There's consultation open. So I uh, encourage people to, to look into that. But you know, I suppose we've seen then in terms of um, the mental health policy um, vision for change that was launched in 20, 2006, excuse me, that really was, uh, it was really a game changer in terms of really saying to people, we're moving away from institution-based mental health services and supports to community-based so and that has followed suit with the most recent mental health policy that was launched last year that specifically mentions, you know, women and girls and their needs in that policy. So, you know, that that that's been really welcome. Um, I, I suppose there are like in terms of the implementation of the policy um, it hasn't been so successful. Uh, and we can maybe speak around that later on. But Another point I wanted to mention in terms of kind of policies that's really important, the, the direction and the narrative um, that we're in now is that for so long in Ireland and indeed globally, um, when we spoke about mental health and mental health difficulties, the focus was very often on the individual and the individual kind of factors. And what we're seeing more and more now in public discourse is the fact that, you know, the societal influence, the, the circumstances in which we're born, we're raised, that that can actually profoundly impact our mental health and can contribute to mental health difficulties. The, the research is there. So things such as poverty, homelessness, violence, financial insecurity, all of these things we know disproportionately impact women and girls. Women are more at risk of gender of violence. You know, we know gender-based violence, the rates. Women are more at risk of being financially insecure, being low paid or, or precarious work. And all of these things have tangible mental health outcomes. And I think, you know, our policies have started to move in that direction where they're recognizing that mental health, it's, it's not just your diagnosis, it's you know, there's there's a kind of social element to it. And we've begun to to realize, you know, that that women and other groups as well, you know, I think even within that term women, you know, there are women who are more at risk, perhaps from, from different groups or women who are financially insecure. So we, we've started to in our policies to to look at that uh, a lot more. Um, and you know, in terms of certain kind of policy initiatives. I think um, something we've been calling on for a very long time is mental health reform was, was in the, real, um, the realm of perinatal mental health services and supports. And, you know, that is something that has been an investment in. You know, I, I do think there, there needs to be continued investment, but it's, it's something, you know, it wasn't spoken about in Ireland, you know, perinatal kind of mental health difficulties. It's still probably not spoken about enough. There's still a huge stigma there and the services weren't there um, because it was kind of just silent. So I think we, we are seeing, you know, there, there is a lot of kind of um, reform. There's a lot of really great policy initiatives, but I suppose policies are one thing, they're documents, they guide us, you know, they guide the government, but it needs to be matched by action and by investment. And this is where we again and again fall short in mental health. Um, you know, there is so many wonderful recommendations out there, but they need to be followed through and they need to be prioritised and invested in. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it can be disheartening sometimes when you don't see the kind of the policies followed through, but I guess 
this is something why mental health reform is out there kind of fighting for that change and, and you know it's 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 so important so the conversation around policy is is definitely changing in the way that mental health is brought into nearly every aspect it's not just oh mental illness will deal with that in one thing it's it's poverty and and violence and i think that's the thing we were kind of talking about this month how mental health comes into it so many topics you know it's it shouldn't be boxed off as a, just a diagnosis or the, the mentally ill and I think it's it's really really interesting and, and the passion you have talking about that is really really inspiring so thank you so much um for, for talking about that but Mary I'd like to turn to you for a moment if you don't mind and um, so this uh conversation we're talking about women in history who who have impacted mental health which i think is is a really really important topic and something we really should really emphasize is there anyone from history that you would like to highlight that you feel has made an impact to women's mental health in ireland yeah you know i think this is a really interesting question i think for a long time there's been a reliance on women to come forward and tell their stories in order to kind of uh, garner support and kick off um, change in relation to women's health in Ireland. Um, and, you know, this has a place. It was obviously really uh, important in the abortion referendum. You know, we saw the In Our Shoes campaign, which was instrumental in, um, I think, getting Ireland to understand the impact that bodily autonomy has on women's lives. But I think as opposed to single people, I think it's more about women's collective action um, to show women's health on its own as something that's important and in, you know, deserve to be listened to. Um, women's health overall, you know, there's been so much stigma around it historically in Ireland. Um, we can see that with the mother and baby homes, you know, the control of the Catholic church, um, you know, uh, the demonization of women's sexuality. Um, so I think, you know, there's been um, a huge movement in women finding their voice and saying, okay, our health is important. Our health is central to our lives. And in order to be able to improve all mental health services, women's mental health has to be, first of all, acknowledged. It has to be respected and it has to be understood as valid and important you know when we spoke to um, groups of women for out of silence project that was one of the biggest things that came through you know women felt that their experiences of health and mental health were dismissed or seen as not a big deal and um, you know we see this in peri perinatal uh, mental health services a lot there's this idea that in pregnancy you know you're happy everything is fantastic but actually you know women are at risk 16% of women are at risk of perinatal uh, depression. Um, you know, and that's, this figure, it's higher than the European average. Um, if we look at um, the abortion referendum, for instance, you know, um, this has had a massive impact on women's mental health. And this was a real collective action of women to say, this is a huge part of our lives. This is important. This is impacting our mental health and it's impacting the decisions that we make around our lives and the freedom and control that we have over our own circumstances. You know, it's well recognized and, and the WHO um, accepts this strongly that not having bodily autonomy has a huge impact on, on mental health. So when women really came out strongly during the referendum to say that this is our reality and in fact, you know, it's really harming us and in certain circumstances, it's killing us that the country finally began to listen. So it's movements like this it's um, movements like cervical check, you know, the work of Vicky Phelan, Emma and Mick Mahunta, you know, who fought for the recognition of women's health to be prioritized by government in a, in a proactive way, not just a reactive way. That's really had the biggest impact, I think, on women's mental health in Ireland. Yeah, definitely. And it's even like, even when you talk about the repeal campaign and things like that, and, and the mother and baby homes, yes you've got the impact from those directly directly affected but it's even those fighting for the campaign as well that it's really difficult like i remember the repeal campaign was going on i was oh my god i was struggling like so much and 
even from hearing opposition voices and other people's opinions maybe that I didn't agree with like it was it was really really hard on my own mental health so I think there's that those sort of topics impact everyone in, in a very very different way you know and and each woman can can probably uh, relate to that in some sort of way that these events and campaigns and they can be really really difficult and that's why they're so important to be fought for so I think that the work that you guys are doing the women's um, national council is is just is just absolutely amazing and um it's I hope that that it will kind of spiral on into into bigger and better things to come not that it already isn't amazing <laughs> um, but Fiona I want to turn to you for a moment kind of similar question is there anyone that you would like to highlight that was kind of instrumental in, in mental health policy reform? Yeah, maybe just uh, something just came to mind there that, that Mary said and or that you followed up on. But, you know, I was really struck, like, um, you know, I'm, I like half the country, I suppose. I, I watched the interview of the week there um, in terms of the, the Harry and, and Meghan um, yeah. interview. And I was so struck online with the commentary and, you know, a woman who at her most vulnerable saying, I needed help. I, I was, you know, I was struggling. And, you know, I suppose people can have their own opinions in terms of a lot of what was said, but what people can't have an opinion on is her experience and what she went through and that she has a right to tell that story and not to be questioned that, mm -hmm. you know, women go through this every day. And, you know, I, I, I myself tweeted out last night some of the, the support helplines because I can only imagine women who are in similar positions listening to that and reading the narrative online and, and for so long being told that, you know, what you're going through, you know, oh, it's, it's the baby blues, or oh, it's it's fine, it'll pass. And, you know, there, the stigma surrounding it, you know, it's, it's really, I think, a reality check for all of us in this space of how much work we still have to do. Mm -hmm. That, you know, we can talk about change, we can talk about how far we've come, but when there are still individuals who feel that they can openly um, I suppose openly maybe try and challenge a woman's experience in relation to her mental health difficulty you know that that still exists so you know there's there's still a way a way to go on on that and definitely and the fact that it's it, it, the point that um the mental health difficulties or illnesses they don't discriminate I mean this this Megan was in the royal family you think that everything is perfect and that's a place that so many young girls may dream of marrying a prince and all that sort of thing and yes she was so unwell and she, and she didn't feel like herself and she you know she said that she didn't want to be alive anymore and all this sort of thing and it's 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 so important that uh, she spoke up and I completely agree that the reaction to it even the, the kind of opposition reaction to that yesterday definitely affected me as well you know it's I saw a thing yesterday that um someone tweeted and I don't want to mention his name but a certain um UK TV presenter was saying that he didn't believe her and I saw a thing that said Meghan Markle isn't going to see his his comment saying that he didn't believe her but your friend or your sister or your neighbor might see you sharing the same point of view and think the same so I think it's it's definitely an amazing point so thank you for bringing that up I appreciate that uh that was touched upon for sure yeah, Abigail, if I could just come in there on that. Um, no, I just think it's interesting as well. I was also thinking about the, <laughs> the Meghan Markle interview. Um, you know, for somebody who's in such a privileged position, for them to not even be able to um, get support or be believed in, in her own experience, you know, I suppose we have to think about, you know, women have a right to share their experiences, but also how women's experiences are accepted um, is very different for so many women. You know, if we look at traveler women in Ireland, Roma women in Ireland, um, you know, they're experiencing health inequalities like no other group. You know, they're experiencing discrimination within the health service. Um, you know, doctors and GPs themselves have said that discrimination is a barrier within their own services. Um, you know, so how, how these women are able to access services and hear, hearing those you know, hearing something like Meghan Markle can't 
access support or her experience isn't believed, what is that to say to a woman who doesn't have the privileges of, uh, you know, a very, um, yeah, privileged individual? It's such a valid point. It's like, what is that to say for people who maybe are not in such a privileged position? If, if someone who is married to a prince in the royal family cannot reach out and get help. And I think that's, that, uh, that, that, um, that message that you put out was something that a lot of people could relate to, you know, that no matter what situation you're in, it, it doesn't discriminate um, in mental health in that sort of way. So I appreciate you bring that up. I think it's something that... Um, is really, really important to talk about. So thank you for bringing that up, Fiona, I appreciate it. But just to, to, to go back to that question, I'm just gonna repeat it for you again, just because uh, <laughs> we went off on a little tangent there, we might have forgotten it. Um, is there anyone, Fiona, you would like to kind of highlight in terms of mental health policy reform? Yeah, I suppose, you know, there are so many. I, I don't want to highlight kind of people in particular in fear of, of leaving people out, but, um, <laughs> I think it's, you know, we've, we've had over like, you know, the, the last 40 years, there've been kind of women who've been Minister of State for Mental Health. There've been kind of women who are kind of founded um, organisations, women who have, you know, spoken out about their own journeys and their own experiences. And I think kind of similar to Mary in terms of it's it hasn't been like the mental health kind of movement in terms of the women who've been involved it's it's been coming from much you know that social justice that human rights that um inequality and um, perspective so you know I, I think for me it's it's you know there's perhaps no kind of there, there's no kind of one woman that I, I would like to to kind of put a spotlight on but more around those individuals who have you know, taking the, the step, the brave step, you know, all of us know who who, who speak out um, how difficult it is. Um, and especially in, on a topic like mental health, where there is still stigma and, you know, anyone who, who has that bravery to stand up and speak out and to say, look, this is not good enough. We need to reform. We need more investment. We need to break down the stigma. I think they're the, the true sheroes um, as they say in the movement is, is people and anyone you know whose contribution be it in their own local community or a national radio like everyone's contribution has is valid and is can be commended I think in in terms of the movement. Yeah definitely I think it's no matter how small the action is it still makes a huge difference you know there's there can never be enough people kind of speaking out and, and, and telling their story or kind of calling for action. I think that's a really important kind of note to touch on. But Mary, I'd like to kind of come to you. Do you feel in kind of your work that, that the impact women have made towards mental health in Ireland has been highlighted enough? Um, my answer to this, I think, would be two-pronged. So first of all, I would say no, if we're looking at the impact um, on, on women's mental health itself. Um, so, you know, there has been a national conversation around mental health in Ireland um, and it has concentrated on young people um, and uh, young men's mental health, which absolutely deserves its own space. But, um, you know, women definitely feel excluded from the conversation um, and women often are shouldering a lot of the responsibilities um, of everyone else and that's impacting their mental health overall. So they definitely feel that uh, they deserve um, a voice within the mental health sphere. Um, I think if we look at the impact that women have had on other, other people's mental health, you know, it's been significant. And we've really seen a good example of this throughout COVID. Um, so we carried out a survey um, of over 1,400 women uh, last May on how the pandemic was impacting their caring responsibilities. So um, informal care, like looking after children, looking after old people um, and people outside the home requiring support. Um, and you know how those caring responsibilities had changed and the impact then that I was having on the time they had to look after their own mental health. So 85 um, of the respondents said that their caring responsibilities had increased during the pandemic. 
and 55% said that uh, they had less time than usual to look after their own mental health and well-being. So, you know, a lot of this work would be uh, childcare, homeschooling, you know, uh, running prescriptions for their families, things like that, but also um, a theme that came up was around the emotional needs of their families. So, you know, for children adjusting to not seeing their friends or worrying about their futures, you know, uh, the emotional well-being of older relatives who are cocooning. So women were the ones who were uh, taking on the responsibility of checking in on those people. Um, and, you know, this was having and it's still having a major impact on on women's mental health. I'd, I'd love to share um, just two quotes um, that we got from uh, two women who just spoke about uh, the emotional care that they were providing for their families. So one woman said, the emotional needs of both my daughter and my partner and my mother are constant and very exhausting. Um, and then another woman said, I'm a traveler woman and caring for my elderly parents and relatives. COVID has frightened them and restricted them so their mental health and well-being has suffered. They're cocooning. It has placed a lot of stress on me. My reserves are beyond depleted. So, you know, this emotional support was really seen as a, a women's job because of that gendered perception we have around listening and talking about emotions and feelings. So, um, it, you know, it's really exacerbated that uh, unequal share of care work. And, you know, this was particularly difficult for lone parents. Um, so just the last quote I'll share um, was from one woman parenting alone. And she said, I'm having to spend a lot of time being aware of and providing emotional support. I'm cooking, homeschooling, entertaining, supporting, encouraging and caring on my own with hardly any contact to the outside world. I mean, you know, these quotes are just the tip of the iceberg. I read through every single response. You know, there was thousands of them um, to each question and it was absolutely heartbreaking. Women are exhausted, you know, trying to do everything, trying to maintain their careers, trying to look after their own health, the health of their families, um, and yet continue to be well and try and find any bit of time to look after themselves. So there is a reliance on women to support the mental health needs of others. So I think the impact that women have had on the conversation around mental health has often been overlooked because it's seen as something that is just the job of women. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. And that really kind of ties in really well to our last episode that we had in terms of kind of the expectations of women. Um, we had Rashika Hassan on and Michelle O'Keefe from the Parenting Institution, Institute. And um, it was just so interesting the way that it can very easily turn into a caregiver and a breadwinner situation very, very easily when it comes to working from home. And uh, Michelle actually pointed out that a lot of women will not be returning to work after after COVID and after the pandemic because they they just don't see a way through and um, through that situation. And it is it is heartbreaking in many situations. And again, that kind of the, the, the point of the International Women's Day yesterday was choose to challenge, which I think it is a really kind of prominent message that we have to challenge these things, um, you know, and it can't be left to the women in those situations to challenge it because they have they have other priorities going on. It's it's up for people in every situation to talk about it and, and bring that um, to the forefront. So I really, really appreciate those quotes because it's um it's it's not emphasized enough, I don't think. Um, and in kind of a quote that I, I like that I've been hearing so often is that you're not working from home, you're parenting from work and how important and how difficult that can be in terms of sort of just working from home. Oh, you, you've got your couch, but you've got your food and you've got your TV and it's fine. You're working from home. No, you're doing 10 other things with that as well. So I really appreciate that um, message. It's, it's so important. Um, Fiona, I want to turn to you. For some people listening who may not know, in terms of policy, why is policy important when we talk about mental health and what can that do to kind of make change? Yeah, so I, I suppose the policy for, for those who, who, who mentioned be, be familiar, like policy is the overall, I suppose, direction of what, what is going to be prioritised. So given a, a particular, you know, something like mental health, the policy looks at 
you know, what is going to be our approach? What are our, our values? So, you know, what are the values that are going to underpin um, our approach to mental health? So, you know, in, in our new policy, there's values of recovery driven and um, service user lear led, learning, trauma informed. Um, and it kind of lays out like good policy will be accompanied by a roadmap. Like how do we turn these aspirations into actions and then into change? Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, as, as we governments, as we know, come and go, but policy kind of offers longer term roadmaps. You know, a policy will often transition a number of, of, of maybe governments, um, but it, it gives that roadmap on, on how, we're, how we're going to achieve change. So policy is really important. Um, and I think for a topic, you know, the, the kind of we're talking about mental health but we're also kind of I suppose talking about um women and women's inequalities and, and both of those are topics that are recognized globally that should be mainstreamed um across all policies and mainstreaming you know it's another one of these these maybe like in terms like what does mainstreaming mean but I suppose what kind of I suppose Mary and, and the National Women's Council would be saying as well that every policy has a, a gender um, element to it and you know what we would be saying is that on mental health like nearly every policy um would you know certainly within certain um government departments such as you know housing justice social protection all of these need to take into account um mental health um and need to have actions on how um they're going to move forward um, in terms of our, our mental health um, needs as, as a country. So yeah, that I suppose that that's where kind of it's really important to influence what is in policies. But then the step afterwards is how do we go from having lovely documents um, to actually having impact and change? And what we learned like from the last mental health policy in 2006, um, Vision for Change came out had brilliant cross-party support. We all welcomed it. It was heralded as being kind of a real game changer. Ireland then went through an economic crisis. We had the recession and it, you know, it, it never got the investment or the prioritization it deserved. And arguably that was not the right approach because you know the mental health needs during the recession grew while the services shrunk and it had you know consequences for for people for families and for communities um so i really hope and what we've been saying to to the government is that you know any covert recovery needs to take into account mental health um and I suppose the second point maybe to raise that I, I think is relevant maybe to, to some of our discussion is we have really poor IT infrastructure in our mental health services in Ireland. So we do not know how many people are accessing mental health services and supports. These are the state services and supports. Um, and if you don't know how many people are accessing, you don't know, you know, we, we have research, but it's not based on, you know, the services. We don't know, you know, the percentage breakdown of women. We don't know, you know, in terms of, of what services are being su supported or, or accessed. And that is one of the, the disablers for moving forward in any meaningful way in terms of um, policy recommendations that if we don't have the systems to measure what we're currently doing, how do we know what we want to achieve? Um, and COVID has really impacted. I was talking to, um, to a doctor there who works in our mental health services. We're saying that COVID in, in, some, um, in some offices, patient files are still, um, are still physical copies, like handwritten. And when people went remote, you know, people didn't have access to patient files and there were so many additional barriers that, you know, we need to invest in that IT and that infrastructure if we're going to, to move forward in building the type of mental health services that people in this country deserve. That's so interesting. I had no idea about that. And you think in, in 2021, we'd be making a change and kind of adapting to this remote online world that will probably be with us in some flexible way in, in years to come. So 
wow, really, really important. And gosh, I think it would make a huge difference if we can get to that place. But how can we ensure that women's voices are heard when these decisions are being made for policy and when that conversation is happening? Yeah, I, I think we we need to create spaces. Um, we, we need to, I, I suppose it's not even just good enough that women's voices are heard, but what women's voices are being heard and who, who is missing and how do we engage with them? So, you know, there, there is kind of, I suppose there, there is kind of initiatives in place. So, um, you know, the HSC have service, um, service user engagement forums that are set up in, at local level. So there's opportunities for people who are accessing services, their family members, carers and supporters to come and share their, their thoughts. Um, but, you know, the accessibility is, is I suppose, is, is a, a big question. So one of the things that mental health reform is, is involved in at the moment is under our U, the UN Convention of the Rights of People with Disabilities, um, the government has set up a disability consultation and participation network. Um, so to try and ensure that as many voices as possible and as many diverse voices as possible feed in to Ireland's reporting under this, this really important convention. Um, and what we're learning is that so much of, of what we talk about is very complex. And, you know, I'm very aware of myself that sometimes the language that we use can be a barrier. So, you know, I was talking about mainstreaming there and you're talking about policies and sharing the vision. Well, you know, that that can be a barrier right away for someone because they feel like, oh, I don't know anything about that. It's, you know, we need to ensure that we're we're creating very accessible information around what we're talking about and that people's real experiences are, are validated. So one of the kind of really important aspects of, of the new policy is that it, it gives, I suppose, it puts on an equal par the experiences of those who are accessing services. Lived experience is another term that, that's often used, but that someone who, who has experienced mental health difficulties has a knowledge that is equal to, you know, the allied health professionals who are also consulted with. Um, and that whole recovery ethos that people, you know, people have a right to, to recovery and people's own journey is very personal to them and that we need to invest in, in the individual and in, in the, ensuring the supports out there. So I think, for me that that's what's really important um is understanding the work that's involved in engaging people it's not simple you can't just do a call and expect people to to submit you know we need to really drill down and representation ensuring that women and the, the women and their diversity are represented in those forums and in those spaces where consultation happen. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought it up in, in that sort of way, because during the, the lockdown specifically, people with disabilities, people with mental illnesses, people in, 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 in uh, traveler communities, they have had a completely different experience from everyone else and arguably a much harder experience than everyone else you know um not that other people's experiences aren't valid of course but in in the in that kind of societal sense the experiences are so different and those voices do need to be heard you know um and as you said it's it's not a simple kind of solution of oh let's just ring up someone and ask for their opinion that sort of thing it's it's making that space open and, and, and non-judgmental as well as you were talking about beforehand there still is so many there's still so much stigma and um, surrounding so many um, um women in different communities with different experiences with different um issues that they're going through so it's 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 definitely a tricky one but ho uh, hopefully with the help of kind of mental health reform the work you guys are doing is amazing and hopefully that will kind of um bring kind of society together in that importance of having these voices heard um you know it's it's not going to be simple but it oh my gosh will it be worth it for for everyone involved 
Um, Mary, I kind of want to turn to you just for a moment, kind of a, a similar question in terms of women's voices being heard. Why do you think it's so important for us to hear and kind of see those women's voices specifically in the context of, of mental health? Yeah, well, I think Fiona captured it really well. Um, I suppose it's, you know, how we engage with those voices, not just um, engaging with them in the first place. Um, in, you know, in the National Women's Council, we really see women as experts in their own health. Um, women have a, a real depth of knowledge in their own experiences um, and in the strategies that they use to improve their own mental health and well-being. Um, so, so I suppose when we really listen to what women are saying, you know, about what keeps them well, what supports them, then it ensures that the services that are there are, are really fit for purpose. Um, and, you know, we really do need to think about how we engage with with different women um, and ensure that they feel empowered and enabled to share their experiences. You know, like you said, it's not just the case of phoning someone up. Um, you know, if we take that for face value, you know, a woman, a disabled woman may not be able to take a phone call. A woman in direct provision, you know, may not have a phone or may not have a safe space where she can share her own experiences. Um, often, women are relied on to share their experiences and they're not paid for their input. You know, you have to take time maybe out of work. They have a myriad of other um, responsibilities that they're also trying to um, take care of. So, you know, if we're, if we're really to put value on the input of women, we need to pay them. The people who are listening to them need to be trained um, in listening to women's experiences, particularly if these are experiences around violence, um, because resharing um, certain stories can be, you know, traumatizing. So women really need that, that support afterwards. Um, and we also need to be going into women's communities, you know, coming in from the outside. A lot of the time we have an idea of, of what we're looking for, but really um, to listen in, a, in an open and non-judgmental way is really key. And, you know, we've, we've seen some really um, great examples of this from some of our member groups, you know, like um, the National Traveller Women's Forum and Pavi Point, who work really closely um, with the women they support to kind of capture those voices and, you know, really make use of the leaders in their community to bring women along. Um, if we look at um, another of our member groups at Kijwa, they did a study, uh, I think it was two years ago now, called Let's Talk, and it was about the mental health experiences of women living in direct provision. Um, you know, and they did a lot of work in order to prepare the women and um, to be able to input into the study. Um, you know, they went into the centres um, and I suppose empowered them to share what was what was really impacting them. And, for you know, um, I remember hearing at the launch something so simple, you know, when we think about preventative measures, there's so much talk about physical health and exercise, you know, to protect your uh, mental health. But these women, they want in one of the centres, they want to start a running group, but they weren't allowed to do that. You know, there was a field just outside the centre, but they weren't allowed to go out there because of health and safety reasons, you know. So it, there is such value in going and meeting women where they are and working around them and with them and for their input, not just to be a tick box and tokenistic, but to actually start with women's voices and not have them as an add on. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think just that whole point of accommodating people who want to tell their story like it it sounds so simple and like like such a common sense kind of factor of it, but it's really not you can never force someone to tell their story and putting them in a situation where they're not going to isn't going to help anyone um and the person whose mental health you're kind of wanting that story to hear and i think it's it's important to note that your story is your story and you never have to give that up for anyone in, in no matter what situation you're in um, so I think that's that's so important and meeting um, these women in the situation they're in and accommodating them so they feel comfortable and, and not judged is, is such a huge thing. And again, it may seem simple, but right now, maybe it's it's, it's trickier than, than a lot of situations. So I appreciate that. Um, a question I'm going to have for both of you, Fiona, I'm going to turn to you first with this. 
what would you say to women out there wanting to make a change to the world of mental health? That you can make a change. You know, I, I think that they are welcome in the movement. And I think um, there, there's so much that uh, an individual can do. There is, there's so much to, to get involved in. And, you know, I think COVID um, kind of, there, there's a lot of new kind of online initiatives, recognizing not everyone actually has, you know, the resources to go online as well. But hopefully when we're back, um, you know, there's, there's other things that people can, can get involved in and be supported to get involved in. But yeah, I think that for me, it's to say to everyone, um, that that's listening is that you know you are an important actor in this movement and to join us and you know if mental health reform you know if you can if you're interested in that sort of thing you know join our newsletter or follow us on on social media but you know just just kind of do as much as what you're comfortable with with every small action be it you know writing a letter to your local TD or you know, giving feedback to your services, every small action makes a, a massive contribution. Um, and we, you know, we're, we're here to, 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 to listen to you, to, to support you. And, you know, a lot of our members as well run lots of various um, activities and, and interesting things around the country. So we're happy to, to connect people in as well. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of work to do but we can do it together would be my message. And just to mention as well, I suppose, even at our level, um, we try to work together as much as possible as well. So with Mental Health Reform, the National Women's Council Ireland did a, a joint kind of um, policy um, briefing last year. Um, uh, God, when was it? It was in July, I think. It was a joint statement um, looking at um, how women have been impacted during the the. Um, during the COVID pandemic and that, you know, that there's services and supports available um, for women. And, you know, this pandemic, it has impacted people differently. And what we do see now from the evidence coming out um, across Europe and in particular in the UK, that people with mental health difficulties before the pandemic and other, I suppose, groups at risk are now even feeling um, the, the more, more so than other groups, the impact of the pandemic and that the government, and this is what we're beginning to say more and more, need to look at, you know, who is being impacted and putting resources and supports and services targeted to, to those specific groups. So yeah, um, there's, there's lots to be making noise about, but you know, we're, we're all in this together and we're, we're working collaboratively to create as much noise as possible. Definitely. I love that. And kind of, um, Mary, same question to you. What would you say to women out there wanting to make a change to the world of mental health? I think, first of all, to mind yourself. Um, you know, I think if you go through mental health difficulties to come out on the other side, a lot of people feel either a responsibility um, or just a want to kind of step into that space and say, you know, I can I feel I can help other people. Um, but for women, you know, we do have so much um, that we do to, to look after other people. So I think to allow yourself space um, and, and, and patience with yourself is so important. You know, you don't have to share your story if you don't want to. Um, for women, you know, the majority of us, unfortunately, have experienced violence, be that domestic violence, physical violence, emotional violence, sexual violence, and that can be something that's really difficult to share. So if you if you don't feel that you're able to do that, you don't need to. But there are things that you can do. You know, you can follow along the work of the National Women's Council. You can follow along mental health reform. Um, if you want to beat me to it in talking about our, our work together, um, so I suppose on a, on a policy level that, you know, that is um, a way that we're working to try and improve things for women's mental health. And in that policy, you know, one of our recommendations was to measure, monitor and report on the mental health impact of the pandemic, um, you know, in a way that includes data on women. So things so simple as filling in surveys, you know, 
research is so needed on women's mental health in Ireland. Um, it is, it's limited, you know, when, when research tends to come out or these big studies, they tend to be on mental health overall. So if you have five minutes to fill out a survey on women's health, women's mental health, women's reproductive health, anything to do with, to do with women, I think is a good thing. Two examples of this are ARC, abortion rights campaign, are running a survey at the moment on uh, women and pregnant people's experiences of abortion services, you know, and this is going to be so important as we move into the review of the legislation this year. Um, Link in Cork are also running a survey at the moment around um, lesbian and gay women's experiences of uh, cervical uh screening services so you know that's something very simple you can do you can also um uh, become a feminist change maker which is our uh lovely new title for those who support the national women's council and um, so it keeps you up to date on all of our campaigns and things like that unless you got involved um and we also set up a women's mental health network a couple of years ago with uh saint patrick's mental health services so um, it's a network of almost um, 300 members now. So it's people from all different backgrounds. You know, we have psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, just anyone with an interest in women's mental health. And we run webinars and um, it's a real space for networking and resource sharing. Um, so you can find information on that on our website and it's free to join. Amazing. And I think that kind of one point to make is that these groups like Mental Health Reform and the National Women's Councils, they it's like a big community really, you know, like you guys both work together in, in different campaigns and things like that. And once you kind of meet those people, people who are shouting for the same thing that you are, it's it's a big lifter in terms of kind of your boost of motivation to fight for the same thing. I think it's a really lovely feel and um, when you meet those people who are kind of working for the same thing that you do. But um Ladies, thank you both so much for joining me today. I think it's been such an interesting, engaging conversation. And I would encourage everyone out there to follow both um, Mental Health Reform and the National Women's Council on um, social media, because I myself have learned so much from both kind of accounts in, in many situations. But to finish up, I always ask my guests for a quick kind of message of hope to people listening out there. As you know, like some of the topics we're talking about today, they can kind of impact people. They can maybe trigger a thought in some people. So it's important to kind of end on something light and inspirational and hopeful. So Mary, I'll turn to you first, if you could give us a little message of hope for those listening out there today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it is the week of International Women's Day. I suppose what I'd love to say to anyone listening is that women are amazing. <laughs> women are incredible. Um, you do so much without even realising it. Um, you know, there are women out there in the front lines every day going out there and just getting on with it because that's what women are really great at is just getting on with it. So just to say that you're doing a fantastic job, it's not going unnoticed. And, you know, in the National Women's Council, we're doing our very best to try and support you, to be behind you, to uh, move you forward and to raise up all the work that you do. So. Happy International Women's Day. Amazing, I love that. And Fiona, kind of the same question for you. What would your message of hope be today? Wow, it's uh, difficult to follow um, Mary's because I completely agree. Um, I, I suppose it's just really, really important. I, I think what we've heard kind of um, coming out of, of COVID is that, you know, everyone, your, your journey, your mental health journey, whoever is listening, it is yours and it is valid and your experiences are important and if you want to share them you can share them and people will listen if you don't that is also okay and I, I think you know that everyone is unique and what, what you're feeling maybe at the moment it is unique to you and but there are others who are there who may have gone through similar who are there to to support and to to, to share so you know we, we will continue as mental health reform to ensure that we're we're bringing a spotlight to the need to invest and to ensure that the services and the supports that anyone who's listening is available to you in your community when you need it. And 
in the meantime, there are plenty of, of services out there. You know, if anyone needs to talk, I'm, I'm sure, you know, uh, they're, they're kind of listed underneath this podcast anyway. But yeah, you're, you're not alone and your, your experiences are yours and they're so valid. I love that. It's, it's so important to emphasize that your experience is yours and you can do with that story what you want with it if it's talking if it's not as long as you're comfortable and you know that's the most important thing um ladies thank you both so much um for those listening out there we are going to have the helplines um underneath this podcast for anyone who may be affected by anything we're talking about if you want to learn more about mental health reform and national women's council please look them up on instagram social media they are everywhere and they're doing absolutely amazing work and i would really really encourage everyone to kind of give a little bit more look into them if you want to learn a bit more about sea change you can go to seachange.ie to learn about the work we do about stigma our ambassadors and how to get involved. Ladies, thank you both so much. I have really, really enjoyed this conversation and you're both doing amazing work in your respective fields. So thank you so much for joining. For those listening out there, have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you next week.